Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Friday, September 15th, 2017. Light episode today. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there, and we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast with the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. And over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine being put out there is far from biblical, far from what God's Word says, and what people are being fed is basically a mess of beans, (laughs) theological beans, if you know what I mean. And, uh, And so what we try to do here is this is a discerning work to teach you how to rightly handle God's Word, to test to see if the doctrine being taught by your favorite people is actually what God's Word says, sound biblical doctrine, scriptural theology, things of that nature. And over and again, we demonstrate that what is being put out there is far, far, far from biblical. All right, let's talk about what it is that we are going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. It's going to be a light episode today. And rather than working our way through the book of 1 Samuel, which is what we've been doing, we're going to take a wee bit of a hiatus and uh, at least this week. And what we're going to be looking at today, I'm going to be playing a sermon and part of a Sunday school lesson, a sermon and part of a Sunday school lesson. And we're going to be looking at Matthew 18 as far as what to do when somebody sins against you personally. This is not about uh, like if somebody's teaching false doctrine or anything like that. No, Scripture is quite clear that false teachers are to be warned against and rebuked publicly. But when somebody sins against you personally, what are you to do? And uh, the the title of today's episode is it, it is the abomination of slander and gossip. 
the abomination of slander and gossip. This is a breaking of the commandment that says you will not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, in the Lutheran Church, uh, you know, the Eighth Commandment is that particular commandment. I think it's different uh, in the Reform circles, but uh, we can all agree that the commandment itself says you shall not bear false witness. And so we're going to take a look at what that means in the context of Matthew chapter 18. We're going to look at an example of the Apostle Paul being slandered and maligned by the so-called super-apostles and the condemnation that falls on the Corinthian church for uh, not um, putting their foot down and saying, no, 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 you shouldn't be doing that. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. There'll be a, a commercial break uh, partway through the message, and then when we're done with the message, we'll launch into our look at what Martin Luther wrote about uh, regarding the Eighth Commandment in the Large Catechism. Uh, you know, worth a look at this. And uh, the idea here is is that there is, and I mean this, there is an abundance of, and this is not a positive thing, this is a negative thing. It is like a viral outbreak. Social media has led to this thing that is happening nowadays, and that is, is that good people are having their reputations literally slandered by a flagrant breaking of the Eighth Commandment, a flagrant breaking of the commandment that says you will not bear false witness against your neighbor, and people refuse to actually abide by and do what Scripture says to do when they are sinned against personally. They have become gossips and busybodies, and uh, it, it, it is so bad that uh, that literally what's ended up, what's ended up happening is is that there are like cyber lynch mobs that are created uh and they're created by these slanderers and gossipers who m- take no effort to actually do the right thing but think it is within their purview to you know act as judge jury and executioner when it comes to certain people's sins and as a result of it, um, you know, it, it, it has really created an extremely toxic environment in social media. And unfortunately, I'm not describing pagans. I'm res- uh, literally describing the toxic environment created in Christian uh, groups, closed groups on Facebook and other places. And uh, this is a sin. Not only is it a sin, you're going to see this in the sermon. It is an actual abomination to God. So that that's our prep work in you know in preparation for today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. So with that, let's get to it. And the message titled "The Abomination of Slander and Gossip." Here we go. The Holy Gospel according to Saint Matthew, chapter eighteen, verses one through twenty. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, "Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven?" And calling to him a child. He put him in the midst of them, and he said, Truly I say to you, unless you uh, become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who belong, uh, who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come. But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled 
or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine in the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? If he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it. And moreover, the ninety-nine uh, rejoices over it more than the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you so that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. This is the gospel of the Lord. In the name of Jesus. There are a lot of options with today's texts. We could talk about cutting off arms and gouging out eyeballs and talk about paying taxes. Combine them together and you end up feeling like paying your taxes cost you an arm and a leg. I wrote that myself, (laughs) as you can tell. I've decided to not go down that road. In fact, today we actually have a very serious matter that we need to tend to. We're going to focus on the last half of our gospel text as it relates to what you do when your brother or sister, this is an equal opportunity text if you would, sins against you. Now I hate to break this to you, saints in Christ that you, this side of the resurrection and Christ's return, still have a sinful nature. So do I. That being the case, there are going to be times when you are going to sin against your Christian brothers and sisters, and they likewise may sin against you. Let me tell you the standard procedure, the way this now gets resolved today because of the Internet. Somebody sins against you. Solution to problem Go onto social media and let everybody know what that sin was. Out here in the rural part of Oslo, Minnesota, the internet isn't as, well, reliable. So they still use these things. Although I think they have like, you know, wires and things out here, right? And here's how it usually goes. Somebody has sinned against you, or you become aware of somebody's sin. And so you get on one of these devices, and you dial up a number to one of your close friends, or maybe they're on your starred favorite list, right? And you call them up, and you say, did you hear what so-and-so did? Oh, you haven't heard. Let me tell you. I hope you're sitting down. Are you sitting down? Oh, yeah, good, good, good. Are you ready? Here's what he did. He did this He did that. He did the other thing. And the person on the other line is going, no, really? Yes, really. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe he's he'll never be able to show his face in public again. (laughs) And as soon as the person hangs up the phone, right? The person who received the phone call, what do they do? Boop, 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 boop. 
I just heard the most terrible story. I hope you're sitting down. This is how this goes. Let's talk about just how serious this is. If I were to give you a pop quiz today, you being conservative Christians, you believing that the Bible is the inerrant, inspired, authoritative word of God, if I were to put you on the spot and say, name for me one sin in Scripture that is singled out as an abomination before God, what would come to mind? Say it louder. Correct. Homosexuality. Homosexual sins. The book of Leviticus clearly says this, that for a man to lie with another man as he would a woman is an abomination before God. This is most certainly true. And what I find fascinating is that conservative Christians very much correctly point out that that sin is an abomination to God and then do not pay attention to the other sins that are mentioned as abominations before God. The ones that, let's just say, involve them. Let me explain. If you would turn with me to Proverbs chapter 6, we're going to take a look starting at verse 12. Very important part of Scripture. Here's what it says. A worthless person... Worthless is a very dangerous word in the Old Testament. If you've been in Sunday school, as we've come across this phrase, a description of those who are idolaters, those who are impenitent, those who are sexually immoral, they are described in the Old Testament with the word worthless. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet. I'm not sure what that looks like points with his finger, and with perverted heart, he devises evil, continually sowing discord. So notice this person is described as worthless. You can recognize them by their fruit. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. Next verse. There are six things Yahweh hates, seven that are an abomination to him. So notice what comes next in this list. These are things that God hates and they are an abomination to him. And you're going to note in this list, three of the things listed have to do with lying and gossiping. The things are haughty eyes. It's talking about arrogance. A lying tongue. Note that. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Have you ever stopped to consider that Scripture so clearly teaches that homosexuality and gossip and slander are equally abominable before God? And it is an absolute, and I mean this, an absolute terrible travesty on the part of conservative Christians who believe the Bible to be the word of God, that they do not equally go after gossips as they do homosexuals and call them to repent and to be forgiven. Scripture is so clear on this. Proverbs 16.28 says this, A dishonest man spreads strife, a whisperer 
separates close friends. Proverbs 18.8, the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. And isn't that how gossip usually, the tone of it works? Yeah, did you hear that so-and-so tell a story like that? And all people are all ears. An evildoer, Proverbs 17.4, important verse, an evildoer listens to wicked lips. You'll note that Proverbs 17.4 condemns not the gossip, but the one who listens to the gossip. An evildoer listens to wicked lips. A liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. Hmm. To note the blame there is on the one listening to the gossip. Proverbs 25, 9-10 says this, Argue your case with your neighbor himself. Do not reveal another's secret. Lest he who hears you bring shame upon you and your ill repute, ill repute say that ten times fast, have no end. Yeah, you're going to note, Scripture is very clear that when you have an issue with your neighbor or your neighbor has sinned, you are not behaving in a Christian manner if you decide that what you're going to do is call everybody up and let them know about that sin. You go and argue your case with your neighbor himself. And our gospel text will explain why, but let's do a little bit more work here. If you would turn over to Colossians chapter 3, I'm going to look at verses 1 through 10. And I want to make a note here of how the gospel has set us free and that because we have been forgiven and united with Christ in his death and his resurrection in the waters of baptism, that we have an obligation to do particular things. Here's what it says, Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, have you been? Let me ask you, have you? Well, Scripture says that if you've been baptized, you've been buried with Christ and you've been raised with Christ. So if you've been raised with Christ and you have... Then seek the things that are above where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So, brothers and sisters, have you not been united with Christ? You have been. Therefore, watch the next part. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. You'll notice that because you have been united with Christ in his death and resurrection, you now have a mortifying work to do yourself. And that mortifying work, mortifying is just a fancy way of saying putting something to death. You are instructed, according to Scripture, to put to death what is earthly in you. And it goes on, if you're not sure what that means, to describe in list form what earthly things are in you. Sexual immorality, and every one of us says no, duh. Impurity, passion, the Greek word pathos here is talking about sinful lust passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Yes, that's right. Lusting after your neighbor's combine is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And then notice these words. In these you too once walked. Greek word peripateo has its antecedents in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word halach, which means to walk. 
and it means how you conduct your life. You, at one time, once conducted your life. You walked in these things when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. There is no room for bearing false witness against your neighbor. And as we're about to see, Scripture actually teaches the concept of innocent until proven guilty. And the reason for it is quite simple. Because of our sinful natures, our sinful natures lie. And you're going to note this. The gossip is gossiping in order to make himself or herself look good. Gossip is selfish. But what we're instructed in Scripture to do is to reach out and help a person who has fallen into sin. The one who goes and airs somebody's sin to the whole world does so to make themselves look good. And they assume guilt. And it then becomes the, the job of the person being blamed for something to prove their innocence. But you're going to note this. In our court system, nowhere in our court system is somebody required to prove their innocence. They are always innocent until proven guilty. Now, case in point would be in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. You want to start flipping over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul, I want you to consider this for a moment. The Apostle Paul is the fellow who, on an evangelistic tour of the ancient world, planted a church in the city of Corinth. He's the one who preached the gospel there. And as a result of the preaching of the gospel in the mouth of the Apostle Paul, God brought people to penitent faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, and a church, a congregation, was born. He's the one who planted it. But the problem with being a minister of the gospel or being somebody sent by Christ, is that the devil, wherever a church is truly planted, sets up shop in order to destroy that church. I've seen it over and over and over again. Different pastors that I know who are in the ministry who have been accused of all kinds of strange and bizarre lies and falsehood. And people gossiping, destroying their ministries. The Apostle Paul had the same situation because after he left, who came into the void? A group of fellows who called themselves, get this, not apostles, but super apostles. Apparently they had a big S on their togas. These were the super apostles. Now, let me explain what these super apostles were like. These were the pretty people. These are guys in their 30s that can afford a $200 haircut and can fit in skinny jeans. Now, I can't. You would have to get the jaws of life to get me out of them if I tried them on. This would not go good. But these fellows, they were good-looking, had the best clothes, fine jewelry, good haircuts. And in the days before radio and television, their skills at public speaking and oration were off the chart. These guys could literally take an audience 
and draw them in and then emotionally bring them to the highest heights so that they feel like they're tiptoeing on the very clouds up in the atmosphere. And then at the next moment, take them down into the depths of despair to where they're weeping tears of grief in the middle of their orations. Compare these fellows to the Apostle Paul, who, the well, the church fathers described as short, cross-eyed, had a hook nose, and wasn't very good at speaking. In fact, I've mentioned this before. It's worth mentioning again. The Apostle Paul actually killed somebody while, while preaching a sermon. It's recorded in the book of Acts. Some poor fellow fell asleep during a sermon, fell out of a window, and died. Now, luckily, the Apostle Paul, being an apostle of Christ, went and raised him from the dead and dusted him off and said, I'm very sorry. (laughs) Next time I'll try to keep my sermon under three hours. The super apostles would never kill anybody in their sermons, at least not like that. And here's the interesting part of the story, is that the super apostles, they commanded the highest prices for their speaking fees. How much did the apostle Paul charge when he would go to Corinth to preach? Answer, nothing. And here's the interesting part of the story, is that the super apostles took the fact that Paul never charged for his preaching and his teaching. They used that as evidence that he was up to no good, that he was somehow deceiving the people of Corinth, that he was being, well, less than forthright. Because they, the way they operated, this, if he were truly an apostle, it is probably not. You know, I mean, after all, I mean, he never really hung out with Jesus. Was he there when Peter walked on the water? No. Was he there when Jesus was on the cross? No. Well, see, that's the reason why he never charges money. He's a fake. He's a fraud. He's been deceiving you. That's how the gossip went. So note, there was a charge. A charge that the apostle Paul was a fraud. Proof, he never charges any money. When he comes and preaches. See, that's, that's the reason why. Now, is it true that the Apostle Paul never charged money when he preached? Yes, fact. Was he a fraud? No, not at all. And so the Apostle Paul was put into the very awkward situation of having to defend himself against lies and slander and the charge that he was a false apostle. Not a good place to be in kind of having to prove his innocence. And so writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we see Paul's defense against this slander in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And here's what he says. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. So he's prepping us. What's going to come next is intentionally foolish. He says, bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you received a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles, even if I am unskilled in speaking. Notice he is unskilled. He's admitting that, right? He says, but I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin 
by humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge. The super apostles were saying he was up to no good because he was not charging. So the apostle Paul asked the logical question, did I commit a sin in humbling myself by preaching the gospel to you free? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my needs, so I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way, as the truth of Christ is in me. This boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I don't love you? Well, God knows that I do love you. And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles. The super apostles are them. They are deceitful workmen. They disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. And the sad reality is that the church of Corinth should have never listened to the charges of the super apostles who were saying that Paul was sinning and that the reason and the proof of that was that he never charged money. They should have never listened to it because Jesus himself said that when your brother sins, you go to him privately. You see, when there's sin involved, Christ has put a procedure in place that is to be followed. And these super apostles, they were what? Stirring up dissension, discord, sowing disunity, whispering that apostle Paul. He's not really an apostle. He doesn't even charge. You know why? They should have immediately said, no, these guys are from the devil. Because the devil is the one who traffics in lies. The devil's native language is lying, according to Jesus. And these fellows were fluent in the devil's native tongue. All right, we're going to pause the sermon right there. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you could subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. The balance of today's sermon as well as a little bit of a Sunday school lesson on the abomination of slander and gossip. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Python's Flying Circus Church. New from Los Lobos Ministry Records. An album that's just oozing with the love of Christ. It's Pastor Perry Noble's New Techno Brand. 
praise album entitled More Like Jesus. The songs on this album will melt your face off in a sanctified way. This album includes the number one purpose-driven praise techno dance song of all time entitled, well, you might just want to hear it for yourself. What about the jackass in the church? The jackass in the church is the person that always screams, I want to go deeper. You know what I tell people to say that around here? You're only as deep as the last person you served. You know what I tell people to say that around here? You're only as deep as the last person you served. What about the jackass in the church? The jackass in the church is the person that always screams, I want to go deeper. Jackass in the church, the jackass in the church is the person that always screams, I want to go deeper. Don't you feel closer to Jesus after hearing that sample? Well, we've got another one for you, too. This one's entitled, You Officially Suck. I think you officially suck as a human being. I think you officially suck as a human being. Oh, listen, I'm playing games, we all I think that you officially suck as a human being. I'm not playing games. I think that you officially suck as a human being. Other tracks include Your Grandma Smokes Weed and I Don't Like Hanging Out With People That Make Me Uncomfortable. Act now. And Los Lobos Ministry will even throw in a free bonus track by Stephen Furtick entitled Cause They're Stupid. Here's a sample. Cause they're stupid, cause they're stupid. A lot of people don't like rock and roll in church. Cause they're stupid, cause they're stupid, cause they're stupid, cause they're stupid. A lot of people don't like rock and roll in church. Cause they're stupid, cause they're stupid. Cause they're stupid, cause they're stupid. A lot of people don't like rock and roll in church. Cause they're stupid, cause they're stupid. So act now and get Pastor Perry Noble's brand new techno praise album entitled More Like Jesus. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. All right, we're back. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that gossip and slander is an abomination before God, just like homosexuality is. 
Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to into the world. And you can partner with us. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute an amount that you decide. That's right. You get to pick your rank in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you'd like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, here's the balance of the sermon on Matthew 18 in relation to, you know, kind of in contradistinction to the concept of gossip and slander. Here we go. So the Apostle Paul says their end will correspond to their deeds. So he says, "Let I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too am going to boast. And notice he said, please excuse me, I'm about to do something foolish, and it's foolish on purpose, and it's foolish to make a point. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you. And this next part is a description of the behavior of the super apostles. They make slaves of you. They devour you. Devour is talking about how they take your money, rob you blind. They take advantage of you. They put on airs, even to the point of striking you in the face. This is the behavior of the super apostles. Because after all, they are super. They are up here. You are down here. And so they mistreated people, which should have been a sign that they were not really apostles at all. The Apostle Paul says, to my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool here, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? Well, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? Now watch what happens. He doesn't answer this question directly. Are they servants of Christ? He says, well, I'm a better one. And he says, I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. This means having rocks thrown at you, not taking marijuana. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not? weak who is made to fall and i am not indignant he clearly was not having his best life now and the super apostles would have never put up with this i mean they might have broken a nail or something and that's his point so notice what he's boasting in he's not boasting in how great he is he's boasting in all the things that have shown that he is destroyed that he's weak he says if i must boast i will boast of the things that show my weakness 
The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Eratos was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. In other words, he slunk out of town like a coward, and he's admitting it. So if I must go on boasting, though there's nothing to be gained by it, I'll go on to talk about visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told. He's talking about himself in third person, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should, be, it should leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you, for I was not at all inferior to these so-called super-apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works, for in what were you, for in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me for this wrong. Notice how many times he keeps coming back to the big proof that he was up to no good. Here for the third time I am ready to come to you, Paul says, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but I seek you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents are obligated to save up for their children. So I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Isn't that weird? I was crafty and got the better of you by deceit by not charging you anything. That was the claim. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. And all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come... I may not find you as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, and conceit, and disorder. And the reason he fears that is because they listened to these super apostles and their preposterous claims that the apostle Paul was up to no good because he wasn't charging them. I fear that when I come again, 
My God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. This is the third time I am coming to you, and watch these words. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Scripture clearly teaches someone is innocent until proven guilty. The way gossip always works, you are guilty. Why? Because the person called you up and whispered. That proves your guilt. No, it does not. It proves theirs, if you know your Bible. So with that, let's return to our gospel text. Matthew chapter 18, we're going to pick up at verse 10. Very important context. Remember, this pericope begins with the greatest in the kingdom of heaven are those who are like little tiny children. See to it that you do not despise one of these little ones. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that's you. You are one of Jesus' little ones. For I tell you in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Yeah, that's right, each and every one of us. There are angels assigned to minister to us, to protect us, and other things. And those angels see the very face of God. So what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep, one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go and search the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the ninety-nine who never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. There's your governing thought going into verse 15. It is not the Father's will that any of his little ones perish. But we as Christians still have a sinful nature, which means we're going to sin. What is the solution to sin? Repentance and being forgiven. That's the solution. And so here, Jesus sets this up. The picture before us is of one of Jesus' precious little ones, a sheep that has gone astray and has sinned. And Christ wants that sheep back. So this is why we as Christians are instructed to handle sin in this way when we are sinned against. Because it's all about Christ hunting down and returning his lost sheep so that it doesn't perish. It's not God's will that his little sheep perish. So if your brother sins against you, get on Facebook and let the whole world know. Not what it says. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If he listens to you, Jesus has found his lost sheep and returned it to the fold. You see it? But if he does not listen, then get on Facebook and call everybody and let the neighbors know. Nope. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you so that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Notice, we've expanded the circle just a wee bit. Everybody else in church has no clue. Just a few people. If he refuses to listen to them, then you tell it to the whole community. No, you tell it to the church. This is an internal affair. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. That means you are to treat him as an unbeliever. 
He is to be put out of the church and he is no longer in fellowship. And Gentiles and tax collectors are what? The mission field. People who we lovingly call to repentance and faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. You'll notice that none of the steps here include, now you go and gossip and let everybody know. None of those steps include that. So if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is a reference to the keys of the kingdom. The office of the keys. The ability to forgive and retain sins. The sins you forgive will be for, will already be forgiven. The sins you retain will have already been retained, Christ says in John 20. So this is in the context of forgiving and binding sins. And the impenitent... Christian, the Christian who says, I don't want to repent. I don't need to be forgiven. Well, that, no, that, that's not how Christians are. We are all penitent sinners receiving the forgiveness of sins. If you don't want to be forgiven, well, that's foolishness. So again, I say to you, if two or three of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So, it is not God's will, the Father's will, that any of his little ones would perish. This is the reason why we as Christians among ourselves, when somebody has sinned or stumbled or done something wrong, we don't gossip about them. We go to them for their benefit so that they will repent and be forgiven and restored. Gossiping about them literally estranges them and puts them outside of the community. We are Jesus' hands and feet and eyes and legs in going and looking for lost sheep. And there's a procedure for that. If you are like me, then you are painfully aware that you have transgressed this command. That you, along with me, have done the wrong thing in dealing with those who have sinned against you. And let me make this painfully clear. What we read in Proverbs makes it very clear that this sin that we are all guilty of committing is as abominable before God as homosexual sins. It is that abominable. And this is where our psalm today helps us. Psalm 32, as we read earlier, let me read it again. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered, including the abominable sin of gossip and slander, covered by the blood of Christ. Blessed is the man or the woman against whom the Lord counts or credits no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my my groaning all day long. For when, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So let us then again confess that we have come up short, that we are guilty of not just sinning against God and our neighbors, but We are guilty of committing sins that are an abomination in the sight of God. But we are blessed because we are in Christ. 
We are blessed because we are forgiven and our sins are covered. And the Lord will not count these sins against us on the last day. So let us bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And when we are sinned against, because it will happen, let us be the hands and feet of Jesus going after those lost sheep and doing what Jesus said to do, not slandering them, airing their dirty laundry for all the world to see, or accusing them of being guilty with no evidence. But let us go to them humbly and call them to repent so that they may be restored and brought back into the fold, so that all of us on the same level may be on our knees before the feet of Christ on the cross as forgiven sinners, blessed because God has covered our iniquity and forgiven us of all of our sins. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So what'd you think? Yeah, that's kind of a barn burner of a sermon. And the reality is, is that each and every one of us is guilty of breaking these commandments and is guilty of slandering and gossiping against our neighbor. And it's important for us to recognize that, repent, be forgiven, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, in relation to the Eighth Commandment, that's the Eighth Commandment, the way the the Lutherans count the uh, Ten Commandments, you shall not bear false uh, witness against your neighbor. The question then comes up then, you know, who is to make judgments like this? And how is one to be, you know, how can one actually be accused of a crime and publicly have that uh, be known to everybody in the body of Christ or in the community? There's a very specific answer to how this is done especially in relation to personal sins. We're not talking, again, about heresy, uh, people who are teaching falsely in the church. We're talking about people who have committed sins or crimes or things like that and how it is to be addressed. And so that question came up in the Sunday school that followed the sermon, and I ended up taking part of the Sunday school time to read out uh, Martin Luther's uh, Eighth Commandment in his in his large catechism. I didn't read it out in its entirety, but really got through a major portion of it that addresses this specific issue. And here is that audio. So the idea here is is that gossip is the type of thing that will necessarily cause somebody's character to be maligned, yeah, assassinated. And that's really the purpose of gossip. That's really the purpose. Whereas the purpose of church discipline is repentance. What do you, what, would you would you give her? Oh, large catechism. Now, I want I, I want to read a part of this. I want to read a part of this from the large catechism. We have like ten minutes, but I I won't read the whole thing. But I want I want you to listen to what Luther writes about the eighth commandment. The eighth commandment is: You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Besides our own body, our wife or husband, and our temporal property, we have one more treasure which is indispensable to us, namely our honor and good name. For it is intolerable to live among men in public disgrace and contempt. Therefore, God will not have our neighbor deprived of his reputation, honor, and character any more than of his money and possessions. He would have every man maintain his self-respect before his wife, children, servants, and neighbors. In the first and simplest meaning, as the words stand, you shall not bear false witness. 
This commandment pertains to public courts of justice where a poor, innocent man is accused and maligned by false witnesses and consequently punished in his body, property, or honor. This problem appears to concern us only as little at present, but among the Jews it was extremely common. That nation had an excellent orderly government, and even now, where there is such a government, instances of this sin still occur. The reason is this. Where judges, mayors, princes, or others in authority sit in judgment, we always find that, true to the usual course of the world, men are loath to offend anyone. Instead, they speak dishonestly with an eye to gaining favor, money, prospects, or friendship. Consequently, a poor man is inevitably oppressed, loses his case, and suffers punishment. It is the universal misfortune of the world that men of integrity seldom preside in courts of justice. A judge ought, above all, to be a man of integrity, and not only upright, but also a wise, sagacious, brave, and fearless man. Likewise, a witness should be fearless. More than that, he should be an upright man. He who is to administer justice equitably in all cases will often offend good friends, relatives, neighbors, and the rich and the powerful who are in a position to help or to harm him. He must therefore be quite blind, shutting his eyes and ears to everything but the evidence presented and make his decision accordingly. The first application of this commandment, then, is that everyone should help his neighbor maintain his rights. He must not allow these rights to be thwarted or distorted, but should promote and resolutely guard them. Whether he be judge or witness, let the consequences be what they may. Remember, something has to be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So here we have a goal set for our jurists. Perfect justice and equity in every case. They should let right remain right, nor perverting or concealing or suppressing anything on account of anyone's money, property, honor, or power. This is one aspect of the commandment and its plainest meaning, applying to all that takes place in court. Next, it extends much further when it is applied to spiritual jurisdiction or administration. Here, too, Everyone bears false witness against his neighbor. Whether there are godly preachers and Christians, they must endure having the world call them heretics or apostates, even seditious and accursed scoundrels. Moreover, the word of God must undergo the most shameful and spiteful persecution and blasphemy. It is contradicted, perverted, misused, and misinterpreted. But let this pass. It is the blind world's nature to condemn and persecute the truth and the children of God, and yet consider this no sin. The third aspect of this commandment concerns us all. It forbids all sins of the tongue by which we may injure or offend our neighbor. False witness is clearly a work of the tongue. Whatever is done with the tongue against a neighbor then is forbidden by God. This applies to false preachers with their corrupt teaching and blasphemy, to false judges and witnesses with their corrupt behavior in court and their lying and malicious talk outside of court. It applies particularly to the detestable, shameful vice of backbiting or slander by which the devil rides us. Of this, much could be said. It is a common vice of human nature that everyone would rather hear evil than good about his neighbor. Evil, though we are, We cannot tolerate having evil spoken of us. 
We want the golden compliments of the whole world. Yet, we cannot bear to hear the best spoken of others. To avoid this vice, therefore, we should note that nobody has the right to judge and reprove his neighbor publicly, even when he has seen a sin committed, unless he has been authorized to judge and to reprove. So notice, when it comes to sins, that nobody has a right to take a person to task publicly in regarding these sins. Now, I will make this clear. Scripture is very clear that false teachers are to be rebuked publicly and warned against publicly. So this doesn't apply to the warning of about heresies and false teachers. But we're talking about when somebody sins, even if you see it, if you see a sin, Scripture in Matthew 18 makes it clear you do not have the ability to prosecute this publicly on your own recognizance. There's a great difference between judging sin and having knowledge of sin. Knowledge of sin does not entail the right to judge it. I may see and hear that my neighbor sins, but to make him the talk of the town is not my business. If I interfere and pass sentence on him, I fall into a greater sin than his. When you become aware of a sin, simply make your ears a tomb and bury it until you are appointed a judge and you are authorized to administer punishment by virtue of your office. Those are called backbiters who are not content just to know, but rush ahead and judge, learning a bit of gossip about someone else. They spread it into every corner, relishing, delighting in it like pigs that roll in the mud and root around in it with their snouts. This is nothing else than usurping the judgment and the office of God, pronouncing the severest kind of verdict and sentence for the harshest verdict a judge can pronounce is to declare somebody a thief, a murderer, a traitor, etc. Notice, in order for somebody to be declared a thief, it takes a judge. Does that make sense? If the person has committed the crime here in the United States, they're innocent until proven guilty, and there's due process. Does everybody who is accused of a crime actually commit it? No. There are those who are wrongfully accused, and so there is a process for it. But the gossip says, that person is a thief. Isn't that interesting? So this is nothing more than usurping. Whoever, therefore, ventures to accuse, let his... To accuse his neighbor of such guilt assumes as much authority as the emperor and all magistrates. For though you do not wield the sword, you use your venomous tongue to the disgrace and harm of your neighbor. Therefore, God forbids you to speak evil about another, even though to your certain knowledge he is guilty. All the more urgent is the prohibition if you are not sure, but have it only from hearsay. But you say, why shouldn't I speak if it is the truth? How many times have I heard that? I reply, why don't you bring it before the regular judge? Oh, I cannot prove it publicly. I might be called a liar and sent away in disgrace. Ah, now do you smell the roast? If you do not trust yourself to make your charges before the proper authorities, then hold your tongue. Keep your knowledge to yourself and do not give it out to others. For when you repeat a story that you cannot prove, even if it is true, you appear as a liar. Besides, you act like a knave. For no man should be deprived of his honor and good name unless these have first been taken away from him publicly. 
Every report then that cannot be adequately proved is false witness. No one should publicly assert as truth what is not publicly sustained. In short, what is secret should be allowed to remain secret or at any rate reproved in secret as we shall hear. Therefore, if you encounter somebody with a worthless tongue who gossips and slanders someone, rebuke him straight to his face and make him blush for shame. Then you will silence many a one who otherwise would bring some poor man into disgrace from which he could scarcely clear himself. For honor and good name are easily taken away, but not easily restored. So you see that we are absolutely forbidden to speak evil of our neighbor. Exception is made, however, of civil magistrates, preachers, and parents. For we must interpret this commandment in such a way that evil shall not go unpunished. We have seen that the fifth commandment forbids us to injure anyone physically, and yet an exception is made of the hangman. By virtue of his office, he does not do his neighbor good, but only harm and evil, yet he does not sin against God's commandment, because God of his own accord instituted that office. As he warns in the fifth commandment, he has reserved to himself the right of punishment. Likewise, although no one has in his own person the right to judge and condemn anyone, yet if they if they, whose duty it is to fail to do so, they sin as much as those who take the law into their own hands without such a commission. Necessity requires one to report evil, to prefer charges, to attest, examine, and witness. It is no different from the situation of the physician who, to cure a patient, is sometimes compelled to examine and handle his private parts. Just so, magistrates, parents, even brothers and sisters and other good friends are under mutual obligation to reprove evil where it is necessary and beneficial. But the right way to deal with this matter would be to observe the order laid down by the gospel, where Christ says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Here you have a fine, precious precept for governing the tongue, which ought to be carefully noted. If we are to avoid this detestable abuse, let this be your rule then that you should not be quick to spread slander and gossip about your neighbor, but to admonish him privately so that he may amend. Likewise, if someone should whisper to you what this or that person has done, teach him if he saw the wrongdoing to go and reprove the man personally, otherwise hold his tongue. This lesson you can learn from the daily management of the household. When the master of the house sees a servant failing to do his duty and takes him to task personally, if he were so foolish as to leave the servant at home while he went out on the streets to complain to his neighbors, he would no doubt be told, You fool, that is none of our business. Why don't you tell him yourself? And, and that would be the brotherly thing to say. For the evil would be corrected and the neighbor's honor maintained. As Christ himself says in the same passage, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Then you have done a great and excellent work. Do you think it is an insignificant thing to gain a brother? Let all the monks in the holy order step forth with all their works heaped up together and see if they can make the boast that they have gained one brother. I think you get the gist of it. But I think Luther's sermon here on the Eighth Commandment and bringing in our gospel text today is quite relevant. Does that help clear up the question as to what is and isn't gossip? So what would you think? 
Hopefully you think this is an important topic and an important issue, especially in light of the time that we live in, where people's names are literally being maligned, maligned, and maliciously so. Gossip and slander is rampant within conservative Christians, of all people. And uh, that it, it, this needs to be seen for what it is, an absolute abomination, a sin against God's commandment, and a grievous sin against our neighbors. And we need to clean this up and not use social media or the excuse, well, I'm telling the truth. I'm right, so I can go ahead and do it. No, no, that's not how this is done. I think you get the idea. So what'd you think? Would love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you could subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till next Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday. May God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.